On the fourth Sunday of Advent, our focus is on joy. Given our place in history, we get to not only look forward to a joy that is ahead, but we also get to celebrate a joy that is realized here and now. First, let us hear these words from Isaiah in anticipation of a joy that is ahead. Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gust forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go upon it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now let us join with the wise men as they experience and celebrate their joy realized in Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and still it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh.
sent to heaven, Emmanuel, God with us. He's worthy of our praise, isn't he? Let's sing this out. service, we would continue to open our hearts and prepare room for you. Help us hear from you. Help us to acknowledge you. Help us worship you. Help us say yes to you. We are so grateful and so humbled to be a part of your kingdom and your work in the world. We love you, Lord. Now let our lives live like that. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, just want to just uh, would ask that you would continue to pray for Pastor Paul and his family. Um, he is uh, with his dad now or on the way to see his dad now. Um, uh, from what we understand, basically just a matter of days before his dad passes. And so, um, so I was asked to step in and fill in this morning. And so uh, be sure to keep Pastor Paul and the family in your prayers uh, today and throughout the remainder of this week. Well, we are, uh, we're working through this series called Christmas Scenes, and uh, we've started these, uh, these sermons with some 
Christmas scenes of famous Christmas movies. Uh, now, when Pastor Paul has done these, they've been ones that I'm like, what are you, like, he's pulling them from like 1896, I think. And I'm like, what is happening here? And so he actually had some of these prepared for me. And I looked at him and I'm like, I have no idea what these are. And so I changed them up a little bit, uh, throw you guys a bone a little bit. And so uh, if, you're, if you're under the age of 99, maybe you'll actually have a chance for these. And so, uh, so let's go ahead and do some, okay. Yeah, Christmas story. Okay, Ralphie. Okay, that's, that's still an older one, but it's still a classic. Yeah, okay, let's go. Home Alone. Which one? One, yeah. The first, has anybody seen the new one, the latest one that just came out on Disney Plus? Yeah, you should check it out. It's worth, it's not great, but it's worth checking out. Nostalgia, right? Okay, uh, next. Ernest Saves Christmas. Yes, I'm so glad you guys know that. Listen, the first year that Chelsea and I were married, we watched that while we were wrapping presents, and she was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like, no, this is great, Chelsea. Anyway, okay, here we go. The Santa Claus, right? Which one? It's just the first one. I only do the originals. I don't want the sequels. Do I have another one? I can't remember if I... Nope, that's it. Okay, well done, guys. Well, see, it's much easier when we actually have movies uh, like that aren't 150 years old, right? So uh, we've been working through this idea of Christmas scenes, and... and, and um, what we, as we were in staff meetings leading up to Advent and kind of thinking through this, like, we, we just kind of wanted this, like, let's just look, like, let's not try to make this fancy. Let's not try to change anything. Like, let's just look at the classic Christmas scenes that lead up to, or that, that are part of the Christmas story in the Bible. And so that's what we've kind of done. And we've, we've looked through the themes of Advent. And we've kind of tied them with particular characters uh, from the Christmas story. And so we started out with love, right? And we, we looked at Joseph and we said that love is not simply an emotion. It's not something that you simply feel, but love leads to action or love is acting to, uh, in Joseph's case, to meet needs. And so he, uh, he met the needs and he cared for, uh, for Mary and for Jesus when he was born. And so practically speaking, the love of Joseph was caring for his family. The next week we looked at Mary and we talked about peace. And we talked about how peace is not necessarily dependent on our circumstances, right? Peace doesn't come from having everything together and everything figured out and being just okay with everything and everything is good, right? When Mary found out that she was going to have a baby, like it was likely a tumultuous thing, right? It wasn't, it, it, the circumstances weren't necessarily ones that lend themselves to peace. But Mary's peace came from this, this inner peace or this wholeness within her, and, and it centered around trusting God. Last week, we looked at the smelly shepherds, right? And we, we, we kind of made this connection that um, the shepherds were kind of an unlikely people to be involved in the Christmas story. Um, for, for, for God to include them in this grand drama of God entering into the world and inviting the shepherds to be a part of that um, gives us great hope. This idea that even the, shepherd, even the shepherds had a place in the story, a place at the table, gives us great hope. Because regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of what we've done, what our past has, has been, God invites us to be a part of of his table. And so that gives us great hope. This morning we're going to kind of wrap up this Christmas 
scenes series. Although we're, we're semi-wrapping it up, on Christmas Eve we're actually going to do Christmas in reverse, and so we'll kind of look back through the scenes, and so I hope you'll join us on Christmas Eve for that. But we're going to wrap up with the last scene this morning, and we're going to talk about the wise men, or the magi. And i got to be honest, the wise men are... Uh, they're a little bit intriguing to me. Like this part of the story is a little bit fascinating, a little bit confusing, a little bit like where do we get some of this stuff? And it's just, it's just got this sense of intrigue to the story of the wise men. Because the truth is, when you see a nativity scene, we don't have one in here to point at, but who is involved, like who's at the, at the nativity scenes that we typically put up? You obviously have Mary and Joseph, right? You obviously have Jesus. You got some sheep there, maybe a camel, a donkey, uh, you got the shepherds because they came, but then who else is there? The wise men. Do you know that that's, I, don't, I hope I don't burst any bubbles here, but like, that's not the way that it happened in scripture. <laughs> like, you, you got, okay, I, I'm just making sure I'm not like crushing anyone's nativity dreams this morning. So like there's these inaccuracies in the way that we kind of portray or tell the story of how, how things actually happened. It was actually later, uh, maybe up to two years later, uh, that the wise men came to, to see Jesus. And so there's this intrigue about when were they there? We don't really know exactly when. We have an idea. Uh, but even, like, who are these people? Where did, like, they just kind of pop up in Matthew's retelling of the birth story, and we don't know who they are. Like, who are these people? We don't know where they came from. All we know is they came from the east. Well, like, if I said I'm from east of Marysville, there's a whole lot of possibilities there, Right? Like, from the east. We don't know. That's all we know. They're from the east. We don't know who the, where they're from. Where did the gifts come from? Ever wonder that? Like, where did they just, like, they just had this frankincense and this gold and this myrrh. Like, where did they get the gifts from? And then how many were there? We always say there were three, right? Guess how many scripture says there were? It doesn't. It just says they came, right? We imply that there were three because there were three gifts. And so obviously every person, there has to be one person carrying one gift and there can't be any, like, have you ever seen a bottle of frankincense? Like, it's not that heavy. Somebody could have had that in their pot. Like, it's, and we make up these stories to, to make everything fit together. And then as folklore has got, like, like as church history and, and just kind of the, the, the story of the wise men go, like, They've added names, like you can find names for these wise men. You can, play, you can find countries of origin for these wise men, and each one is a different country of origin. And like the folklore of the wise men has just has blown up, and it's like, what? like, this is an intriguing story. Based on scripture, there's a lot of things that we just don't know. And I think that maybe sometimes when we try to dig into the nitty-gritty of these wise men, and sometimes we dig in a lot. Like I said, I was actually listening to a, um, a sermon. Uh, it's kind of a sermon-ish podcast. And this guy was so heated because people included the wise men in the nativity. Like, he was ticked off because the, the wise men, and that's not scripture. And I'm like, dude, like, okay, they weren't there. Like, it's fine. If we need that in our nativity, it's fine. It's not a big deal. And I think that maybe sometimes when we, uh, when we, when we get stuck on the details of the story of the wise men and we get caught up and we get our defenses up and we want to you know, make sure this is perfectly right, I think that maybe we miss kind of the simplicity and the beauty of the story of the wise men and what they do and the way that they respond when they come across Jesus. Let me read the story to you. It's in Matthew chapter 2. I think it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. 
Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the earth, in the east, sorry, in the east, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I want to focus this morning on the simplicity and the beauty of this story. And I'm just going to throw out my my main thought here. And so I'm going to throw this out. And if you want to tune out for the rest of the time, that's totally fine. I'm giving it to you up front. Here's the beauty and the simplicity of the story of the wise men. There's a group of unlikely people that sought Jesus. They sought Jesus. And when they found him, they were filled with great joy. And that great joy led them to do something. It led them to an attitude and a posture of worship and generosity. I want to take just a little bit of a closer look at those little things, but I want you to catch that that beautiful and simplistic idea of the story of the wise men. There were some unlikely people that sought Jesus, found Jesus, were filled with great joy, and that led them to generosity. Let's look at this idea. There were some unlikely people. One of the beautiful themes that I think of the Christmas story, and we've touched on this as we've gone through these different Christmas scenes, is um, there are some very unlikely people in this story. right? Mary and Joseph themselves were very unlikely candidates to bring in the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, Zachariah was a kind of an unknown priest. He had no real significance, no worth, but he was involved uh, in this story. And Elizabeth, they were involved in this story. The shepherds were unlikely people to be called in and to be invited to this, to this grand drama. The, this Christmas story is filled with very unlikely people. The wise men are no different. One of the fairly clear things of, out of all the ambiguity and, and unknowns of this story, uh, one of the things that are pretty clear is, is like what these guys did. They're described as magi, kind of the same root, root, root word that we get magic or magician. So these were guys who were into this idea of magician and, 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 and sorcery and, and astrology. We knew that they uh, were kind of students of the stars, kind of this very mystic, um, uh, wondrous kind of 
figuring out the world. And so they were students of the stars, and so uh, they, they knew the stars. They had mapped out the stars. They knew all about the sky. They could point to the stars, and they could, they could, uh, they could describe what that star was. They knew what constellation was. They had it all drawn out. I would go so far as to say that they were even one of those people who uh, called in and named one of the stars after their loved ones. You ever hear those advertisements? Like, I hope that nobody, I hope I don't offend anybody, but like, that's a weird gift, right? Like, I named a star after you. I should do that for Chelsea, shouldn't I? That's a good call. I'm going to do that. They knew the stars. They knew the stars. They had them all mapped out. And when we think of Jesus and we think of people who, who are following him and who are close, like, and we think of magic and sorcery and astrology, like we don't necessarily think of those things lining up. And so we have this unlikely group of magi who know the stars. They know where the stars are placed. They know the names of stars. They've given stars names. And then one day, one night, a star shows up that's not expected. They know, they know what stars are supposed to be there. And there's this star that shows up that's out of place. It's not, they're, they're consulting their maps, their, their, their star map, I don't know what you call a star map, but they're consulting the maps of the stars, and this star is not supposed to be there. It's something that is unexpected. And somehow, and this is again where like the, the imagination goes, and like I'm like, how do they... Somehow they connected this random out-of-place star with the story that there was to be uh, a king of the Jews that would come to the earth, that would, that would reign. And somehow these people who were not Jews had made this connection of this randomly placed star, seemingly randomly placed star, and they made this connection with this, these prophecies that had been told of the king of the Jews. Somehow they made that connection. There's some commentaries that I, that I came across, and again, this is one of those things I don't want to get too caught up in, whether this is the way it was or not, but some of us suggested that, um, that they had heard those stories from the time that, the, that, that God's people were in exile. So like the time of Daniel and his friends, and so they had, they had kind of overheard these stories, which is kind of a cool thought, but again, I, I don't know if that's how it happened, but somehow they saw this star that was unexpected, and they tied it to the king of the Jews. So they wanted to pay their respects to this king, and so they, they followed the star. They sought Jesus. These unlikely people took it upon themselves to seek Jesus. They got to Jerusalem, and they started asking questions like, how can I find this? I've heard stories, and we saw this star, so obviously something is up. How do we find this? And Herod and, and the people kind of uh, collected their thoughts, and they said, well, he's going to be in Bethlehem. And so they continued the journey. They continued to seek him. The simple less than six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, kind of, it, it's the same distance, essentially, from Marysville to Milford Center. It's not a far journey, but they continued their journey, and they sought after Jesus. These magi were paying attention. They were aware. They were looking out. They were seeking after something. And as I think about this and I think about their background and, and what they would have known and stories, would, like I don't think that they were necessarily seeking Jesus in the way that we think of seeking Jesus. Like I don't necessarily think that they were looking for their Savior or their Messiah, but they were seeking and as I think about that and I think about God's grace, I can't help but, but think of God's prevenient grace in our lives. 
Like there are times when we are seeking and the truth is is that we don't even know what we're seeking after. We just know that we are seeking. And I love that God's grace is so big and so incredible and, and so prevenient that goes before that in the midst of our seeking, even when we don't know what we're seeking for, God shows up. And God shows up for these wise men who are seeking. Again, I don't think they're seeking for their Savior. I don't think they're seeking after the Messiah and that they would have known exactly what that was. But they were seeking, and in God's grace, God showed up. So they're seeking. And after they seek, I lost my note. Did you guys see my note page fall down and didn't say any? How long ago was that? That was awesome. You guys could have told me. That would have been fine. We're friends here. Because now I'm like, I have no idea what I'm saying next. <laughs> the wise men are seeking. They're seeking after Jesus. They stop over in Jerusalem. They get, to, uh, they, they, they get to Bethlehem, and the star stops. And it stops over where Jesus and his family is. Again, we don't know. This isn't at the nativity. They're, the, they're not still in the manger scene. They're, they're taking up residency somewhere in Bethlehem. And the wise men stop, and they find Jesus. And they were filled with great joy. The NIV, um, the NIV, I think, kind of lacks in the way that it describes this sentence. There's other translations that say it this way. When the wise men saw the star pointing to Jesus over top of where Jesus was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's almost as if Matthew, the writer of this, is, is like overemphasizing what's going on here. Like he wants, to, he wants to make sure that you know just how much joy these magi had. They, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And what was the source of their joy? What was the source of their joy? It wasn't finishing a road trip, although I will tell you it is a joyful thing when you finish a road trip. Am I right? Especially when you have kids. Like we, tra- we were in Cincinnati over the weekend, and we traveled late last night to get back here. And I tell you, when, I, when, when we're coming up Route 4, I'm through Mechanicsburg, and I'm like, oh, we're almost there. And I get through Milford Center, and I'm like, oh, I can feel it. And my eyes are so tired, and the kids are cranky, and they just want to be home. And then I see Bunseled, and I'm like, oh, we're almost there. And I turn on Milford, and then we're there. And it's like, that is great joy, right? Am I right? Right? That wasn't the source of the wise men's joy. They had finally arrived, but that wasn't the source of their great joy. What was the source of their joy? And it was Jesus. It was Jesus that they had come to this, this baby, this Messiah, this Savior of the world. And again, I don't think they fully grasped what it was that they were experiencing, but they were filled with great joy, and the source of their great joy was Jesus. And then perhaps the best of all here is what does this encounter with Jesus, what does this finding this great joy, what does it cause them to do? Because we talk regularly about what is our response. Like our youth ministry, is, it, that, it revolves around responding. We've talked about it here on Sunday mornings. What is the response? What is God leading us or calling us to do? And I love what the picture that we see of the wise men. They find Jesus and they encounter Jesus and they're overfilled with joy and it leads them to do something. It leads them to a posture of generosity. Remember what we said about love in week one. 
that love was more than emotion. It was more than feeling. It was love put into action. Right? It was Joseph practically loving Mary and Jesus by doing something. I think it's the same is true for joy. That joy has to be more than just an emotion because if, the, if it's just based on an emotion, our circumstances don't always lead us to joyful feelings, right? They don't always lead us to happy uh, rainbows and butterfly feelings, right? So joy has to go beyond emotion and feeling and joy has to produce something. And what we see in the wise men is that joy produces generosity. For the Magi, it was the gifts. It was the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. It led them to produce something, that generosity of giving the gifts. As we're, as we're talking through, as a staff, as we were talking through this series, kind of the idea is we wanted to, we wanted to take these themes of Advent, and we wanted to reflect on a story of people uh, in, the, in the Christmas story from Scripture, but we also wanted to kind of tie those to people in our congregation. And as we thought about this idea of joy and joy-producing generosity, it was a no-brainer that we were talking about Mary Gingry. Mary's in the second service, uh, so she's not here right now. But man, if you don't know Mary, first of all, you're missing out. And if, you, if you're like, I don't know Mary and I need to know Mary, come see us and I'll, I will gladly introduce you. Mary has experienced Jesus. And Mary experiencing Jesus has produced in her a great joy. And that joy just flows out of her. Like it oozes out of her pores. <laughs> and you know how it oozes out of her pores? Through generosity. Man, she is connected to so many people in Marysville and Columbus. And the, 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 the root of her connections are finding ways to serve people, to provide for people. And it just happens nonstop. There are, t- there are at least once a week, Mary pops into my office. Um, sometimes she pops into our staff meetings. And you just know that she has a story that she's getting ready to tell. Because she's just glowing. Right, like she is glowing about something. She's like, Josh, you're never going to believe this. I got to tell you a story. Again, it's it's at least once a week that she pops in my office, and she's telling this story. And you know what the story revolves around? Someone else that they figured out a way to help, or some other connection that she made that can provide something for somebody else. And it's this great sense of joy in her life. And as I was thinking about that, it, it, it's not the it's not the helping people so much that is the, the root of the joy. The joy centers around Jesus, right? The joy centers around her having encountered Jesus and experienced Jesus, and that led her to a posture of generosity. Now, when she, when she is generous and when she gives things and when she tells those stories or when she's out here after services throwing bags of gummy bears or fruit snacks to all the kids and she's just overfilled with joy, like the, the joy comes from Jesus. It's centered around Jesus. And then she gives in generosity and that gives her great joy. And it's just this cycle of joy centered around Jesus and it produces generosity, true joy produces generosity. And so this Christmas, the invitation is this. 
to truly see and experience Jesus. To seek Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to experience Jesus, and to be filled with great joy, and then to allow that joy to produce something, to produce generosity. Again, as a staff, this Christmas season, we've seen, we've witnessed you as the church, us as the church, have joy that produces something. So throughout this Advent season, we've, um, we've, we've kind of taken on two kind of missional projects, if you will. And as we've, as we've reflected on this, as we've watched this happen, we are just like, it's, this is great. Like, our church has the joy of Jesus, and it is leading us to a posture of generosity. We took on Angel Tree, and, and Bev, I think we're nearly 20, uh, 20 kids, somewhere around there, um, that, uh, whose parents were incarcerated and we provided Christmas gifts for them. And we've done this for several, I don't even know how many years, several years we've done this, and we've taken that on. And, I, like, and to see, as soon as we announce that, uh, and we put the ornaments on the tree, like, they're gone. Like, you guys just, you flock, like, you go, and you get them. And we see that joy produces generosity. This year we took on something new with blessings in a backpack. Uh, we were approached with a need for blessings in a backpack that, that feeds uh, 250 K through sixth graders uh, in, just in Marysville over the weekends when they go home and they don't have school lunches and they're food insecure. And so Blessings in a Backpack has provided them and we were approached with this need to provide food for them over Christmas break, a longer break, and so they needed more food. And so we as a staff said, we got this. Our people have this. We're going to do this. And so we put out the numbers. We put out the sign-up genius and we, and we said, this is, how much, this is how much we need. And I don't even remember all the numbers. Stephanie could tell us the numbers, but I don't even remember the numbers. But we put out this sign-up genius and we're approaching and we're a, we're a week out from when this is happening. And we're like essentially at our goals. And then we find out that we didn't set the goals high enough. <laughs> and so as a, like behind the scenes, this is a moment of, of transparency here. Behind the scenes, we're like, well, this, this isn't going to happen. All right, we're not going to be able to provide everything that they need. We're just going to have to give them what we have, and then they're going to have to figure out the rest on their own. That was the behind-the-scenes conversations. But let's go ahead and let's bump up those numbers on the sign-up genius. Like, we're not going to make a big deal about it. We're just going to go up. We're going to go in there. We're going to sign up, change the sign-up genius numbers. And, and some of the things, like, we needed triple what we actually said we needed. And it's like, there's no way. Do you know that last Saturday, as we finished the Christmas Open, and we, uh, as some teens and, and some of the staff, we were here and we we're cleaning up and we started counting and sorting all the food to get ready to pack up. Do you know how much we were short? Nothing. We got it all and then some. And we were able to feed 250 kids, provide food for them over Christmas break because of your generosity. Joy centered on Jesus produced generosity. So my question to you is this, what's next? What's the next step for you in this? Based on the beautiful simplicity of the story of the wise men, what is next? Perhaps you're in a season of seeking. Can I encourage you, just keep seeking? Even if you're like the wise men and you don't really know what you're seeking after, but you know that there's something that you're seeking and, and you can't even put words to it and you have no idea, but you have this desire within you and you're just seeking can I encourage you this Christmas, keep seeking. That God in his infinite grace will find you. 
always does. Keep seeking. Man, maybe you need this Christmas to just experience Jesus a little bit more. In the hustle and the bustle and the, the craziness and the family drama, and I'm coming off of it, I know. <laughs> like in the midst of this, you're like, man, I just need to experience Jesus. Can I encourage you this week to find ways to encounter Jesus? To experience Jesus, to kind of push out of your mind for just a second all the craziness, all the busyness, all the family drama, everything, push it out and experience Jesus. Christmas Eve is a great time to do that as we gather together in a simple service where we focus on Jesus. Encounter Jesus, find time to encounter and experience Jesus this week. Maybe the next step for you is to respond in generosity. To find ways, more ways to respond in generosity. You find a way this Christmas to respond in generosity, to find those who are in need and to meet those needs. We've been wrapping up these series, these sermons with communion. As I thought about this, communion is a communion is a means to respond to all aspects of this. Communion is a way to seek after Jesus. Communion is a way to actively seek after and long for Jesus. I would encourage you to respond by taking communion. Communion is also a way to experience Jesus. See, we believe that this is a means of grace, meaning that in the act of taking this, there's nothing magical or anything like that, but in the the physical response of taking this communion, of of joining in with the, the church universal for years and years, and we join in together the same meal that Jesus broke and instituted when he was on earth, we are experiencing and encountering Jesus. So if you need to encounter Jesus, man, this is a great opportunity. It's also simply a chance to respond, to respond to Jesus in thanksgiving, in celebration, in joy to respond to what Jesus has done for us. We do this, we, we, we do this, we call it Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, so we respond in thanksgiving to what God has done for us. So this morning, also as you know, we've been, as we've been taking communion throughout this series, we've kind of been uh, doing this in a different way. Amy, if you're, you want to come on up there, sorry I didn't give you your cue. We've been doing communion kind of in different ways. Not because we're trying to change up things, not because we're trying to kind of recreate the way that communion is done, but simply as a way to, to be reminded of the, the ordinariness of communion, of the elements, to be reminded of the significance of that, of those ordinary elements. And so we've done things like um, Ritz crackers and grape soda, and we did a grape to remind us of the essential, the central nature of Jesus and Last week we did King's Hawaiian Rolls just to remind us of the kind of the ordinary dinner feel of this. This morning we're going to do it different again. And again, this isn't trying to recreate anything or, or change things up. It's just a simple way for us to be reminded of what we are doing. We're going to take it with a Christmas cookie and juice. And kind of the reason I want you that we're going to do this is this. A lot of times we take communion and it's this kind of somber environment and mournful environment. 
And that's fine. Like, we, we think about what Jesus has done, and, and it, 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 sometimes it, and it, and we think about how much we need Jesus, and it can lead us to a somber and mournful moment, and that's great. But can I tell you that there's also a part of communion that is filled with great joy, great celebration where we look forward to the banquet feast with Jesus where everyone is welcome at the table and we gather together and it's this great feast of celebration. When we do this, we are also looking forward to that. And so I would invite you this morning to join us around the table by coming to communion and partaking in it with great joy. As you grab the cookie and the juice and you head back, may it not be a somber time, but a time of celebration. A time of joy. I think we're going to sing joy to the world, right, uh, as we take communion. Uh, and so I'm going to invite you. Uh, we're going we're to uh, dismiss from the back, and you can come up and just grab your cookie and your juice, and then you can return your seats, and then I will give you some further instruction. So as we sing, would you sing with great joy and receive the Lord's Supper?
thank you for saving the day there. <laughs> I said, thank you for saving the day there. <laughs> Didn't like my notes page. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take it. In the same way, after, he, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we are so thankful uh, for your love for us. As we celebrate God with us this Christmas season, we are overwhelmed with joy. Joy not because of circumstances or things that are going on in our life, but joy because of who you are and what you have done for us. And so God, for my friends who are seeking, would you give them the strength to continue seeking? And for those of us who just need to encounter and experience Jesus this Christmas season, would you be faithful to show up as you always do? And God, may you prompt us to respond in a spirit of generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed. Unless you want to sing a song with us. Oh. Let's sing it's a song. It's okay. <laughs> How about a song to By go? All means, go ahead and stand to your feet if you'd like. We're gonna sing. <laughs> Do whatever. It's fine. Go tell it on the mountain.